Welcome in to another special episode of the Dream Preview. RJ is out today. He will be back tomorrow for a special NFL schedule released with Matty Holt. NFL podcast tomorrow. Make sure you check into that. We'll have all 18 weeks of the 2021 NFL schedule in our hands and see how we might take advantage of our new information. But first, we have a couple of best bets coming your way. Let's start with Diamond Dave Essler. He has an NBA award, which he thinks is currently mispriced. Let's take a listen. I love bet Monty Williams, minus 170, NBA Coach of the Year. In fairness, this could have been bet at a better number, but I think it's still a winner. Thibodeau had been a trendy pick, but he won it with the Bulls in 2011. I'm going to cross him off, even with the Knicks preseason win total set at 22 and a half. Snyder had been a real possibility, but Utah was expected to contend it in fairness. He's probably done the best job given their injuries, but Gobert is getting Defensive Player of the Year. Clarkson's going to win sixth man. So giving three awards to Utah isn't likely, uh, but life isn't fair. And then there's Phoenix, who wasn't expected to be a 500 team. Williams has taken essentially the same team that won 34 games last year to the brink of being the number one seed in the West. So not only has Williams exceeded expectations as much or more than anyone, but we live in an era where NBC refuses to broadcast the Golden Globes. So Williams not winning, I think it'll be a bigger deal than winning. I think it'll be the first black head coach since Mike Brown in 2009. So I bet Monty Williams minus 170 to win NBA Coach of the Year. Switching over to the NFL, we have Tommy the Hitman straight out of New Jersey giving you his best over-under available to you right now in the NFL. Best bet, Vikings over eight and a half wins, minus 140. Minnesota's my most undervalued team going into the 2021 season. Last year, this team was decimated by front seven injuries, opt-outs, and hurt more than most teams by the pandemic due to them losing the most impactful part of their massive home field advantage, which is crowd noise, and by them having a league-high amount of draft picks who all didn't get to participate in an off-season program. Minnesota ranked fourth in yards per play on offense and has an above-average quarterback who's elevated by having arguably the league's best trio playmakers in Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. This year on defense, Minnesota gets back Danell Hunter, Michael Pierce, Eric Kendricks, and Anthony Barr back from injury, and they've also added Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson to this defense. That's six new starters from last year's unit, and Mike Zimmer hasn't forgotten how to coach defense. I like the Vikings all the way up to nine wins. Best bet, Vikings over eight and a half wins. Very interesting stuff from the boys. Another couple of best bets. Just one more reason why you should hit that subscribe button right now on your pod player. Helps us out. It helps you out. Because when you're subscribed, you don't miss anything. Very big things coming up. Big announcement to be made. Check us out tomorrow. Very special podcast coming up. Now, there's a very interesting conversation that we had yesterday. It was funny. It was my day off. So I actually got to listen to Straight Out of Vegas on my car radio for the very first time in my life, which was a great experience. And I was kind of, I was kind of, I had some misgivings about missing because it was a great conversation that I would love to have been a part of. It was about Russell Westbrook, specifically the concept of if there are biases in the media that are affecting our ability to identify the truth, then those are biases we have to understand and eliminate in order to be the best gamblers that we can be and the best thinkers that we can be. 
Media bias affects everything from sports, politics, day-to-day society. It is the interpreter of our world, like it or not. That's the way it currently stands. So we have to understand it, understands its flaws, its biases, as I said, and try to get to the Vegas truth. Let's take a listen to that conversation yesterday between R.J. Bell and Jonas Knox from Straight Out of Vegas. Russell Westbrook breaking the all-time triple-double record. He is now in the history book, surpassing the great Oscar Robertson. It's interesting. The great is that. Did he trademark that as part of his name? Because you <laughs> you hear that all the time and for a long time. And this is an example of your age, your generation. It matters. If you're below 30, maybe 28 right now, this Westbrook era is right there as, hey, that's basketball. There's a guy that potentially could average a triple-double. Oh, he did. Oh, he did a second year. Oh, I think now he's on pace for four out of five. Now think about this a second. If I told you there was a stat that, quite frankly, didn't, if I'm not mistaken, it did not exist, the triple-double, until Magic Johnson, where as he started to do this, it was like, look how often he's got, you know, double, 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 two digits each. And, it, and then they retroactively looked at it and got the count. But is, is that how you recall, Jonas? It wasn't really even a stat people discussed or even it got invented in Magic's era. Yeah, I, I, I think it was something along those lines because when Westbrook started doing this and he was averaging the triple-double for the season a couple of years ago, then we started to look back on, all right, what does this actually mean? Like, what does this accomplishment mean? And that's where Oscar's name started to come up more and more, and then you started to realize this isn't – one of these long times since the peach basket was up on, on, on you know, that this stat was around. It was actually developed uh, not that long ago. Now, I actually, this might be an example where, you know, our 10 years or whatever of difference comes in. Because what I can say for sure is in the 80s when I was, you know, a teen and, 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 and younger in the early 80s is the triple-double was, was prevalent. It was discussed because Magic was, you know, in a given year, he might have had 19 or whatever or, or 14, and the next guy had three, right? So that distance was the story. And it was at that time you started hearing about Oscar Robinson. Now, again, I, was, I wasn't around for Oscar, right? So it's an, that was a generation gap, obviously, for older people. But you always heard he averaged a triple-double. And it was, like, said in hushed tones. Like, how could a guy do that? And... I think it's fair to say in Michael Jordan's era, it wasn't triple-doubles weren't discussed as much. But when Westbrook then started emerging, I think the historical context, I agree with you, but I I will say for sure it was discussed a ton in the 80s because, as they would say, I was there. Um, (laughs) does um, Does that resonate? Yeah, no, and it's it's similar to like the three point shot. The three point shot was around in in you know when Chris Ford hit the first three in the history of basketball. It was he, the three point shot was around, but it was when Steph Curry and the league started to change it. You went back and said, you know, guys were hitting threes back in the day. It was there. It just wasn't looked at the same way as it was with this one uh, nowadays. Though, unfortunately for Westbrook, I think the way that it's been looked at is yeah. been a re. Uh, a reevaluation of history because I would make the case that up until Westbrook, the triple double, though it was recently emerging, you know, where it wasn't around in the sixties or whatever, it was well-respected. 
that, you know, you think, and I mean, not that uh, a rap song is necessarily going to be the decider, but if you think about the uh, Today Was a Good Day song when it says that I messed around and got a triple-double, it was like it was something to look at and say, this guy can score? I mean, if anything, it's the not the ultimate maybe, but it, a triple-double represents having a varied game, having many skills. I can shoot and score, I can assist, and I can rebound. And really on offense, amongst the counting stats, if I said, I got this player, Jonas, he can score, he can throw assists, you know, pass assists, any rebounds. You'd be like, I don't know if he's got enough for the team. I mean, like, that's all you can have, right, ultimately. Right. Now, the fact that double is two digits is kind of arbitrary, but you know what's arbitrary? 30 points per game, and so is 100, and so is whatever metric we want to use. It's kind of arbitrary most of the time. The human mind appreciates round numbers and simple numbers. We get it, right? It's not 12, 12, and 12. It's 10, 10, and 10. But for a stat that the one guy that averaged in the history of basketball triple-double for the year up until Westbrook was called the great Oscar Robinson, and that is common. For that then to have a guy do it four out of five years and to be so uh, almost to the point that people begrudge having to talk about it, like there's no celebration. I mean, think about that. Imagine, you know what this would be like? Someone hitting 400 in baseball four out of five years. Because think about it, DeMag or uh, Ted Williams hit 406. It was a long time ago. He's been, he's been uh, put up on Mount Rushmore, Williams. He's exalted. And then someone comes along and does it four out of five years. How amazing would that be? And does that feel analogous to you? Yeah, and I also think the same thing would happen is the first year somebody did it, you would look at and it would be celebrated and we'd be in awe. And then for whatever reason, we just become, I don't know if it greed or un, unappreciative is, is the better term of when these guys continue to do this stuff, it just becomes, Oh, well, yeah, big deal. He did it three years ago. And, and, and I, I felt myself the same way when I saw that he broke the record, it did nothing for me. <laughs> and, and I, I it just, I, I didn't think, Oh my God, what an amazing accomplishment. I, the first year he did it, I was much more impressed, and that was, you know, two or three times ago that he's been able to put up numbers like this th during the course of the entire season. Now he's the greatest of all time, and I just find myself sort of numb to the accomplishment. I think you're right, but I think it's even more than that. So first, we got our stand-in producer, Spencer. Now, he's not Spencer for higher fame, though that's what I think of when I hear Spencer, is Check on that triple-double in regards to Westbrook specifically, how often he's uh, had. I think, I, I think it's four out of five years this year if he get what he will, but we'll see. We're straight out of Vegas. Jonas, I agree with you. When something becomes not novel, when it becomes common, it's less exciting. You know? Yeah. Any, <laughs> there was the old joke. I remember when I was a kid, this might have been like on One Day at a Time or something, a sitcom that I, they did a revival of, but was in the 70s with Schneider and the cigarettes in his white shirt. I don't know if you ever saw that. But they said, here's the thing about marriage is get a big thing of jelly beans. And every time you make love the first year, you take a jelly bean and put it into the second jar. Then after the first year, you take it from the second jar back to the first and you never get that first jar empty or that second jar empty was the joke. And I was a kid going, hmm. <laughs> but, but the fact is, it's human nature. 
as things are new and fresh and novel, they're exciting. And when things are old hat, well, they're not as exciting. And again, that's a great metric. If you're in love, it can maybe beat that. But the fact is, that's a rare thing because humans like things that are different. But I think it's become not only apathy towards it, Jonas, not only, oh, we don't care, no big deal. It's active disdain, it seems like. Almost like he's going to the Oscar Robinson shrine and writing graffiti on it in a way. And I just wonder why that is in that, that, that I get it. He, you know, that's the thing. The old cliche would have been with Westbrook, and maybe that's the question. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that the media in general is hard on Westbrook? Yeah, I, I because we go back to this bottom line sort of philosophy and thought, which is, yeah, but are you winning titles? All right, because if you don't win titles, then you don't matter. And, and that's sort of taken on the tone of the NBA to where a player gets dismissed if he doesn't win a title. It's Shaq's first go-to with Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was a great player. I, I think people, because he's been such a, a successful broadcaster, I think people lose focus as to how good he was as a player but the Agreed. first go the first go to every time they have a back and forth is yeah but you never won any titles and that feels like this is this is sort of layered underneath whatever Westbrook accomplishes you just look at him and go yeah but it's not it doesn't result in championships so why should we care yeah i think you're right about that but there's but still could you imagine Westbrook even getting the TNT gig Meaning, meaning Charles against Shaq, maybe he's going to say, Google me, Chuck, and and you're going to see that. I always want to say that. I never can find the right spot for that. (laughs) But but the fact is, I agree with you. We do count rings here in this country, and I kind of like that, to be honest with you, because winning, I know it's not the best gauge always, but to some to some degree, I don't know if a guy, I don't know if Jordan could have ever been kept from winning a title. Yeah, no matter what circumstances he was put in, yeah. especially considering that Chuck, as we call him here in Vegas, went from team to team. It's one thing to be yeah. on the Sixers. He went to the Suns, went to the Rockets, and those were kind of some precursors of the all-star, you know, the super teams. Yeah, and uh, Rick Buecher was on uh, Speak for Yourself earlier on Fox Sports 1, and he made the point that part of the problem is Westbrook hasn't really made himself – an engaging mm-hmm. personality to the media. And so because he's standoffish, because he, he's not really into all the, uh, you know, sit down interviews and, and making the media tours and making the rounds. And because he's such a guarded guy that some people in the media, not that they take offense to it, but they're not as warm to the idea of celebrating him as maybe they should be. And I think that's also an aspect here. Okay. And how impressive is this? Because what we've heard, and to me, the real story is the averaging the triple-double over, and it is, Jonas, actually four or five years if he finishes this year. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. And my guess is it'd be over those five years he has. Though I guess I'd have to do the math on that, meaning if you just said in a five-year period, if you do it four out of five, chances are you're going to make up for that shortfall that one year. So think about that. No one hadn't done it since the big O, the great big O, and literally to say in a half a decade he's going to do it. It's, it's Over 300, only, yeah. a 300 game stretch, basically. It's he's incomprehensible. Gonna, yeah. It, yeah. And he's not, and it's not only the lack of novelty. Jones, I think you're right. That's part of it. It's the disdain that Westbrook seems to be held in. 
Some of that has to do with the lack of winning. But let's be honest. When a beloved player hasn't won yet, there's a lot of excuses made until he does. And it feels like Westbrook was getting heat after. Remember, people forget this. I think it was 2012 when they played LeBron in the heat, the OKC team. OKC was favored in that series. They were minus 160. Of all LeBron's playoff, uh, or I'm sorry, finals, this was a rare one he was an underdog in. He's been a favorite in almost every finals. And didn't they win game one? I think Oklahoma City won game one that series. I think, well, I'm not sure about that, and we can you know take a gander at that, but, you, but even coming in the series, they were favored. Yeah. Yeah. So the theory is, one, give LeBron credit for winning. But from there on, and, and let's be candid, obviously Kevin Durant, who he's not beloved, he is more loved by the media than Westbrook. And you can make the case that with the burner accounts and who knows what KD was doing behind the scenes, kind of crafting the story. It's his right. Every big athlete does it. Westbrook doesn't seem to play the game like that. Here's my question. I'm not going to act like I know the answer because I don't. How much of this has to do with how, and I don't know if the right word today is urban, if it's inner city playground ball, however you want to say it, there's a certain kind of feel to Westbrook's game that doesn't, it doesn't feel, it feels like it could be in, you know, what, what's that, Rutgers Park in New York, you know, the, the yeah, hard, Rutgers tough Park. street games. It feels like there was a lot of that. And that's something, quite frankly, quite frankly, the mostly middle-aged, mostly white sports writers don't seem to be a big fan of. And now we can act like that's not true, but, I mean, Jonas, you are the media specialist here. Do you see some of that? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's that they don't respect that style of play. The one thing I, I think is respected when it comes to Russell Westbrook all the way through is that he, effort. Every, effort every single game. Like you're never going to. And, and that's what I love most about him is that, you know, that guy's landed on the line every single game. And it, he may fizzle out when it comes to the postseason. And we've seen that to where you can just tell he's exhausted from his style of play. But he gives the effort. I also think that there's some in the media that have pointed this out. And these are legitimate to where you can go back and find times during these triple double performances where, you know, maybe a teammate will pull off getting a rebound for him. You know, maybe, uh, maybe somebody, you know, maybe a, a loose ball goes here after a long missed shot. And, you know, the, it was one guy could get it, but it'll let Russ go over and grab it. Or there's a rebound off a free throw. There's just little things like that, that you've seen during the course of this, that, you know, we got to be honest about. Bingo, bingo, because, it's the one, I think, legit criticism because, and, and here's the distinction, though. The second year, the first year he did this, they say they could see that occasionally. After that, they're saying it hasn't been the case. So in a weird way, that he's being painted with that brush that it's selfish because by definition, a triple-double is two-thirds things that don't usually get accounted for as much, meaning assists... How many assists does LeBron have now versus five years ago? You don't hear about it very much. I'm not saying LeBron, LeBron's actually quite good at assists, you know, for his position, how he plays. But it's not discussed. Magic made assists important. But, you know, there's a guy named John Stockton that a lot of people we don't hear much about anymore. Who's, he's got a lot of assists. We don't care generally, right? Rebounds. Who's the rebounding leader this year? Do you know? 
No. I don't. Right? Yeah. And, and I, who, I'll, I'll just say I'll say Dennis Rodman just because he did it for so long. I don't know. I have no idea. He was the one guy that made rebounding cool, right? So, yeah. but we know that you know a Trey Young, we, he's a points guy. We know that. So the fact that a triple double, two thirds of the numbers are numbers we don't usually care about as much. That means triple doubles feel more team oriented. It feels more assist, or I'm sorry, more about winning. If I told you I could have the best triple gu- double guy on the team or the best scorer on the team, and you don't know anything else about him, I want the triple-double guy because I know he's going to have a diverse game. He's going to be able to score. He's going to be able to rebound. He's going to be able to assist. Westbrook somehow has gotten this selfish paintbrush on him, even though he tries super hard, which a lot of sports writers, what do they cry about? Oh, he's not not trying hard enough. The effort isn't. He doesn't care. I say that a lot. doesn't seem like he cares. I'm saying Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem like he cares as much as a Tom Brady. But the fact that Westbrook tries so hard and still is painted with a, a brush that's negative, I think it's somewhat justified because of some of those rebounds and the teammates deferring. I don't know if it's been pertinent for a long, long time. Uh, would you get, I mean, you watch a lot of games. Would you get a sense in the last year or two that's still been the case? Yeah, there's been some times this year that have been pointed out that, hmm. they, well, you know, maybe maybe so-and-so could have grabbed the ball there, or maybe there was, you know, an opportunity for somebody else to pick up a board, and, and they didn't because Russell. Like, there's been a couple of those, but it's still, I mean, we're talking, like, are they doing it to the point every single game that that's what's tilting him over the edge of a triple-double? I, I, I doubt that, but there are moments that people point to. And look, we talk about accomplishments. James Harden a couple of years ago was averaging over 36 a game, which has been done twice before him. Michael Jordan and Will Chamberlain were the other guys. And the way he was talked about was, yeah, but that style of play, he's just chasing points. And it's like, okay, well, we can say that, but when it has never been done other than two times in history, and it was Jordan and Chamberlain who did it, it we got to start, you know, really acknowledging this as, as, as a great accomplishment. That's Jonas Tonks. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. You know, it's fascinating because as we've talked this through, what I'm seeing here is a few things I know for sure. And then we're going to transition to the Tebow, which is the idea that winning cures a lot of ills. If you win, it's kind of hard to complain. And in the media today, we look at winning as something it's hard to complain about. So Westbrook has not won at the highest level. Number two, it's effort. A lot of sports guys like to complain about these millionaires and their effort. With Westbrook, that is not pertinent. So, okay. And then finally, I think it has something to do a little bit with the idea of the game has changed. That somehow this style of ball isn't what we call basketball. And I think with the threes, you're seeing that, right? With the three-pointers, there's so many being made. And it's like it's destroying so many records. We're all looking and saying, huh, how do we... How do we put this into context? Are you really telling me the 50th best shooter today is better than Larry Bird? Because the numbers might say that. And with Westbrook, again, I don't think it's fair to say he's he's benefiting from that. Because you know why? Nobody else has ever done it since Big O. Literally, if Westbrook would have retired the year before he did it, we'd be sitting here talking about, do you ever want you ever think it's possible that someone could average a triple-double in a season again? We've had that same conversation because no one else has done it. In the history of basketball, since Oscar Robinson, 
One guy has done this, and he's done it four times. How can't that be amazing? It's like, imagine yeah. the big thing when I was a kid, and this was because it was so long before that, but it was Carl Lewis and Bob Beeman's long jump record. It was like 30 feet, this idea of that 30-foot jump. If some one person had jumped over 30 feet time after time after time and no one else had, no one would say, oh, the altitude has changed. Oh, it'd be like one guy's done it, no one else has done it. One guy has done this, Westbrook. No one else has done it. And it's something we thought would have been the greatest, one of the greatest accomplishments anyone could have in a regular season. But somehow no one seems to care. It seems coincidental that Westbrook doesn't play a style ball that most of the sports writers or sportscasters are not a big fan of. Closing thoughts, Jonas. Yeah, it's just funny how we look at stats differently. For the longest time, the benchmark, if you were a successful running back in the NFL, was 1,000-yard season. Did you have a 1,000-yard season? Well, when you actually go back and do the math, what is that, 63 yards a game? I mean, that like that's what we're talking. And mm. now with the extra game, it just. but it's funny how we look at certain things as real accomplishments and then others we just sort of take for granted. I think this is one of those ones that we take for granted, myself included. When and, and, and if anything, I, I don't think this is even, because we're all affected by even a media guy like yourself by what you hear in the media. If every day someone's talking in hushed tones about something, can you believe that? It's just human nature to... Even if by osmosis, it drifts into your thinking. And it's scary because we don't even know, none of us do, what influences we are being affected by. And if we can identify biases, we can try to eradicate them. And you guys know me. I'm not one to talk about. <laughs> it's funny. There's certain days I bet you could clip up the show and say, boy, RJ seems to be pretty liberal. And other days you could clip it up and go, I think he might have voted for Trump. I hear that sometimes. I think you could have. It's like it'd be a secret or something, right? Like I'm going to hide it like I'm in some special club. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? I just try I try to look at this from the same perspective. We all think we're doing it. Like I call, the, call it the way I see it. We all think we're doing that. I do think if you're following any party line too closely, it's hard to think that's your thoughts. And sometimes I'm one way, sometimes I'm the other because it feels right. It feels right to me to acknowledge that certain styles of play are loved and certain styles aren't by the general media. And we've got to acknowledge, I think, when those biases affect the perception of a player because ultimately the history of Russell Westbrook is going to be written by, unfortunately, the media. And to me, it doesn't feel... You know, last thought on this, Jonas. When you're a kid, you're 18, 19... You have your first love. An older person laughs a little, oh, first love, puppy love. But the reason I think, and I think it makes sense, that it's so impactful for people, is you've never known anything else. Meaning one day you were too young to be in love, and then one day you were in love. And sometime during that time, if someone asked you, well, what about your next girlfriend, next boyfriend? What, what's that going to be like? What do you mean next? Like this is all you've known. As you, then when that breakup almost inevitably happens, it's crushing for a lot of people. Why? Because the only family or the only love they've known has always been there, let's say. I mean, some people have unfortunate parents die or something, but for the most part, and then it's gone. And how do you deal with that? Now, when you're 30, 
when you're Jonas, who got married a while back, but had a grizzled <laughs> lead up to that. I mean, is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, a, like a grizzled veteran. <laughs> yeah. I've, 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 been th- I've been through the wars. There we yeah. go. And, yeah. and, and, and really, that to me, I love it when a guy, you know, past 30, finally finds the one because though there's never a guarantee of anything, it's like at least you know you've been around, right? At least you know. And yeah. to me, it, those relationships always have the best chance, but it doesn't change the fact as time passes, you start to kind of get used to it. It's not fun, but you get used to it. And to me, where does that connect? It connects when you're in an era. You can say, it doesn't matter what the sports writers write. We were there, we know. But you think back to John Stockton, and I don't think there was any bias against him. I think there was a bias against Malone and Stockton because they were killing records, and it felt like it was about longevity more than anything. But just, you know, that's an interesting question, Jonas. When you watched The Last Dance, Stockton and Malone were a big part of that. Didn't it feel like the first time you've seen any footage of them in a long, long time, hasn't it? Yeah, Carl Malone's one of the great all-time scorers in NBA history. We don't ever hear about him. Like, it's just, oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, his style was boring. It was, all right, well, if the, if the goal is to score points, he was as good as almost anybody in the league, uh, in the history of the league. What are we talking about here? John Stockton, same thing. Like, I mean, if the, if the goal is to distribute and try and, you know, win games, I mean, they won a ton of games. They had some great teams. They were competitive in those finals. And unfortunately, they get lost in, in the conversation. I mean, if you really think about it, MJ never went to a seventh game in the finals, which is amazing. Six out of six, never went to a seventh game. But if you look at the Utah with two minutes left in game six of the last six championship, Chicago was probably an underdog to win that series because with two minutes left, and if you go to YouTube, that last two minutes is, 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 is why MJ's MJ, in my opinion. But... Utah would have had game seven at home. Utah probably would have been a – I can remember the lines in that game. They probably would have been like a one-point favorite. Maybe pick them. But if you almost assume that Utah had game six one, which they almost did, then you go to game sevens, pick them, it means you're pretty much a coin flip from MJ losing that sixth title. No, what other team could you even say of those other series that it was even close? I mean, it might have went to six games with Seattle, but, you know, they were up 3-0, they let it happen. I mean, that Utah team could have been one of the 20 best teams of all time because to be that close to beat the Bulls, that's reasonably what they were. And a great home team as well, oh, too. That, that, that game seven would have been a home, crowd, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, that would have been awesome. I actually, I, that, I would have loved to have seen Jordan in one game seven, just one game seven, uh, just to see how that would have gone. It, imagine if he flipped that and, and, and he somehow loses game six easily, but game seven was game six with him doing that last nah. Hey, listen, <laughs> it's more like a movie than it should be, so let's yeah. give him credit. Well, let's cut to the chase here. I had a take on this, and the take was going to be and still is to a degree, Tebow seems to be disdained by a lot in the media, many in the media. Westbrook, disdained by many. They seem to be different ends of the spectrum, right? And what is that spectrum? Well, it feels like it's there's a all-shucks-gee-whiz, Opie element in Tebow, hard worker, fanatical effort, you know, maybe underskilled. And then on the other hand, Westbrook, as we talked about, the style of play, the tenacity, you know, the Rutgers Park kind of feel. Seems like that it, you, if you dislike one, you'd like the other. 
And again, we're talking broadly here because we're talking about the media in general, no one person. But Tebow's not loved. Westbrook's not loved. I think it's a story. But this Urban Meyer, and again, I'm a graduate of, as we like to say, the Ohio State University. I love the Buckeyes. Urban Meyer really is, um, I don't know the right word for it, squirrely. He's, he's rascally. Doesn't seem like he wants to get, get, get held down for, you know, like he never seems to stand tall and proud about the things that happen. There's always he wasn't in the room. Like somehow, oh, they were doing that? I wasn't there that day. I mean, my gosh, if you decide you want Tebow to come in, how many times did he – and then he said, and we just had that sound coming and great job by the FSR team, is he says, well, I guess the decision is going to have to be made here coming up in a little – what? Did, I mean, he was going to get a shot to try – or to be in camp, and now he's reconsidering that? Did it seem like that was even a, a uncertainty, Jonas? It just it feels like he's almost caving to the pressure yep. and the backlash that he's getting online, and and I don't know why. I I, I really don't. Like why it. the if backlash you, or why is he caving? Why is he caving? If you think this guy can play and he goes out there and proves that he can play, then you're good. If you give him a shot and he can't play, you cut him and you move on. It's just that simple. I agree. And and if anything, I would respect the guts. There's nothing more powerful. Think about this a second, where someone will sit and tell you why you shouldn't do something. Like, why shouldn't you give this play? Like, I know it's a TV show, but think of Friday Night Lights, if you ever watched that. And you can imagine there were multiple situations in that show that the coach was told by Buddy Garrity or whoever in the city or whoever in the town, you can't do this, 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 or this because of this, that, and that. And to have that guy look and go, I hear you but I'm still going to do it. The American spirit in us says, yeah. If, if you agree with the reason, it's like, yeah. I don't, because no sacrifice is a sacrifice unless it costs you something. And maybe, maybe Urban Meyer loses a little esteem amongst the, the grizzled NFL people because he doesn't understand the NFL yet. Who knows? Maybe Trevor Lawrence gets a little peeved. But you know what? If you believe in it, that's the point. Sacrificing for what you believe in. What would the belief be here? Is that Tebow, though not obviously a tight end in the NFL, maybe he can do it because he works so hard. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, the message to the team, meaning doesn't make it, the hard work might be a good message to the team. You might agree with that or you don't, but I'm pretty sure Urban Meyer does. But I'm also pretty sure that when pushed on it, he's going to back off. Maybe that's how he's gotten job after job and stayed alive in spots where maybe he would have been retired effectively. Maybe that's how he got over to Fox TV. I don't know anything about it. But the guy's had a hell of a career. He's won a lot of games. But it seems like anytime there's a controversy, he wasn't in the room. Thoughts, John? Yeah, and, and I also find this – maybe this is just him realizing – the microscope that's on you as an NFL head coach is much different than when you're in these college towns and you know Columbus, you went to Ohio State, they are Columbus. The Ohio State Buckeyes and that football program runs the show there. And 
Go back to Gainesville when he was in Florida. He had a lot of questionable characters on that team. I didn't see him all of a sudden say, you know what? Upon further review, I don't think Aaron Hernandez fits what we're doing here at Florida. No, he went with it because he was the guy calling the shots. Yeah, the scrutiny issue is a big issue. It's going to be a story we can follow. But at minimum, him backing down here, I don't love. 